How many people use ask.com? <laughs> Probably not many. Anyways, uh, we're in a series called Christian. We're starting it out today. And uh, I just wanted to kind of get this out of the way. You know, I, I'm a fan of leadership books and blogs and those types of things. And a common theme that I've been seeing over the last several months or the last year has been that in times of crisis, right, like we kind of have been coming out of a time of crisis, but through times of crisis, one of the best things to kind of do as you're rallying people is to go back to the basics, kind of go back to the foundation of kind of your organization or your church or what that might look like. So today we're doing that. We're starting a new series um, and because 2020 was weird and 2020 has proven or 2021 rather has proven to be just as weird as the previous year. So we're going to do this series called Christian and over the next several weeks we're going to dive into some real some seemingly basic stuff, but some real foundational things that I think we can build the rest of the year off of. So to kind of get started with that, we're going to do, we're talking about this word Christian here, but we're going to do a little like wordplay, if you will. So the first slide here, you know what an American is, right? That's pretty easy. You know what an American is. I was born in Bangor. I'm an American. I was born here. You know what a Canadian is, right? They say A. My, my roommate, my best friend through college, um, we went to college in Canada. He married a Canadian woman. He became a Canadian citizen. He's now a Canadian. He's also an American, but he's a Canadian. We know what that means. It's pretty simple. You know what a firefighter is, right? But there's no debate on what a firefighter does. It's pretty self-explanatory. Explanatory. They fight fires. We know what a policeman is, right? They have a pretty specific job to do. We know what a, a policeman is. But what about this word? Christian. Once you throw that one up there, it's like, ooh, that's a difficult word. What does that mean? Maybe for some of you that, that brings like some happiness to you, like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Like that makes me like I'm proud to be a Christian. Maybe for you, someone brought you here and that word just has always kind of rubbed you the wrong way. Like you weren't quite sure about it. And and but it kind of it's this word that if I stood at the door and as people walked in and I said, Hey, what do you think a Christian is? I bet we would get a whole variety of different reasons or different definitions of what you think a Christian is and what he thinks a Christian is or what I think a Christian is or what you think a Christian is. And we can all come up with all of these different definitions of this word because it's, it's hard to define, isn't it? It seems simple, but really when you think about it, it's, it's difficult to define. And, and so if you were raised in the church, like I started going to church when I was in middle school and the church I grew up in, like you kind of became a Christian. You, the, the pastor, he said a great sermon. And then at the end, he asked her everybody to what? Every eye closed, you know, with every head bowed. And then you kind of raised your hand and you said this prayer and then you became a Christian. That's how you became one. Or maybe for you, the, the church you grew up in, um, you know, you, you got baptized. And once you were baptized, like that's the kind of the marker that checked the box that you became a Christian at that point. And maybe for you, you had to, to take a class. You went to a church and, and you had to go through these series of classes and you had a, you know, a confirmation. And then after that point on, you were a Christian. Like you felt like, okay, now I've, I've arrived. And those are sort of the, the things that have kind of made you know that you're a Christian. I grew up uh, going to a Wesleyan church. 
probably most of you have never heard of a Wesleyan church. I had never heard of it. I didn't grow up going to church, but we went to a Wesleyan church. And even today, I tell people, oh, I grew up at a Wesleyan church. And people are like, what's that? I've heard of Baptist. I've heard of these things. But, and so, but I grew up kind of thinking, like, this is, this is the brand, right? Like, I thought my brand was the brand, the true brand. Like, we were the real church. Those other churches, like, they're doing something different over there. You know, you have those liberal Methodists that they do their thing. And I thought that we were like the ones or, or maybe the first Baptists, right? Like, they're better than the second Baptist churches. But, you know, they're still, you know, you know, they're a little uptight over there. And you don't even see a third Baptist church because, I mean, you don't even know. They can't have that many, I guess. But everybody sort of thinks that your brand is the true brand, right? That, that like, the church that you go to, like, we know the truth, we know, but the other church, they think they know, but, but they're not quite sure about it. And don't even get me started on the money-hungry, like, mega churches. Like, when you pass a 1,000 people, you have to be in it for the money. Like, there's just no way around that. And so you kind of think, oh, well, you know, our brand's the true brand, and what, I don't know what those other people are doing, but they call themselves Christian. And, and maybe you're sitting here thinking, like, I used to be a Christian. Like, I was. I, I, I grew up in a Christian home. I, I, was a, I, I was a Christian, but I'm not really a Christian anymore. And then some of you might be thinking, well, once you're a Christian, you're always a Christian. Like, you can't unbecome one. You just, once you're saved, always saved. That's how it works. And some of you, maybe you grew up thinking, no, like, you can be a Christian one day, and then the next day you could not be a Christian. Or, you know, you, you go out with, with the guys, and you're, you're driving home at night, and, and you did some things you probably shouldn't have done, and so you're just white-knuckling it till you get home, hoping you don't crash because if you do, it's just a one-way ticket, right, to the bad place. And so you're thinking, like, I could lose it. And some of you are thinking, you can't lose it. You have it, you have it. And some of you, or some of us grew up, it's not about, it's all about what we believe. As long as I believe the right things, I'll be a Christian. I'll, I'll, I'll be okay. And then some of you, on the flip side, maybe you grew up thinking, it's, it's all about how I behave. That, you know, I can believe different things, but as long as I'm a good person, that makes me a Christian. So it's, it's do I, do, is it what I believe or, or is it what I, how I behave? Is it what I believe or is it how I behave? And maybe if you're, you're watching online or maybe you came here and, and someone brought you here, you're visiting, I don't know, and, and you might think, I just, I hate Christians. That might be your thought. And, and, and I think some of us have been there before. And, and maybe you've, this is a definition we came across of, of Christians. They're judgmental homophobic moralists who think that they're the only ones going to heaven and they secretly relish the fact, and maybe not so secretly, relish the fact that everyone else is going to hell. Believe it or not, that's, that's kind of a common definition if you ask a lot of people outside of the church. And if someone was to ask you, maybe you're walking down the street, it probably won't happen, but if they said, hey, are you a Christian? Like, do you say, yes. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Or do you kind of feel like you have to qualify? Like, I'm not one of these Christians. You know, like, there's those Christians, but like, I'm, I'm this kind of Christian. Like, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I believe this, that, and the other thing. I'm a Christian, but I'm different in this way. Do you feel like you have to kind of qualify it? That you have to add some little extra footnotes just so people know that you're not this kind of Christian. Like, no, sorry, I'm not that. And if I was honest, and I always try to be honest when I'm up here and through all times in my life, like, there's a lot of truth. There's a lot of truth to all of this. And that's kind of what's the good thing and the bad thing is that there's a lot of truth to this. But the truth is, 
is that if you open your Bible, if you dust it off and you kind of begin to crack that open, none of the things we've talked about are requirements to be a Christian. Like, you got to hold on for me. You got to wait till the whole thing's over before you start throwing things. But the term Christian, it really, if we go back, you had it right. The term Christian only appears in the Bible three times. Three times. And as we're going to look today, those three times are not people calling themselves Christians. So no one prays a prayer and becomes a Christian. No one gets baptized to then become a Christian. People get baptized. Like, that's an amazing thing. And we had a baptism last week, and it was awesome. And we celebrate that. And, and so don't miss what I'm saying. But no one has to check these little boxes to become a Christian. In that word, it only appears three times, and it's never even defined. There's nothing that says, this is what makes a Christian. It's kind of hard to believe. You might not believe me. You might be thinking, I'm going to wait till Jim gets back, and I'm going to have him fact-check Brian's sermon, right? But it's not even defined, and if you actually look at it, and we're going to find out today a little bit more about it, is it's actually kind of a derogatory term. It's like calling someone a redneck or a hick, right? Or, or words that I can't say here in church. But it's, it's, it wasn't meant to be a kind word. It's not meant to be a compliment to this group of people. And one of the references that we're going to look at this morning, it's found in the book of Acts. And if you don't know what the book of Acts is, it's, it's a book within the Bible and it's an ancient manuscript. But the, really the point of Acts is to kind of chronicle or the historical account of the church after Jesus left the scene, right? His death and resurrection, and then he kind of goes off. And then it's the church and how it, it went from that into growing into a movement that's what we see today. So it's the chronicling of how the church got started and where it went. And so we're going to learn that they're, they're after the time of Jesus, a great persecution kind of breaks out in Jerusalem. And so Christians are being slaughtered, they're being imprisoned, they're being killed, and, and all of this stuff's happening to them. And so a lot of them kind of fled the scene. They took off and they went to, many of them ended up in a place called Antioch, which is in modern day Turkey. And so they go up there and they speak Greek up there. And the, the apostles, they, they start to hear words that, hey, there's like a lot of these new believers up there in, in Antioch. We need to check out what's going on up there. So they decide, they send a man named Barnabas, and he goes up there and into Antioch, and he sees what's going on. He sees a whole slew of people, like a, new, a whole bunch of new believers, and he thinks, I need some help. So he calls in the real MVP, right, Paul. He calls in Paul, the super Christian, to kind of come help him. So he goes, and he finds Paul. And so that's where we're going to pick it up. In Acts chapter 11, verse 25, it says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus. That's where Saul is from, and Saul later becomes Paul. But he went to Tarsus to look for Paul. Imagine you need to find someone and talk to them, and you can't call them and say, hey, where are you? You have to physically, like this could be many days trip to hope that Paul is even there. And so he shows up, he finds him, and when he found him, he brought him up to Antioch. So the two of these guys, they go up to this place where there's a whole kind of like this movement that's starting to form, a new church, and people are being added to their numbers. It says, so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church up there, these believers, and they taught great numbers of people. They taught tons of people. So there's this big movement, and it's growing by the day. And all these people are being added to it. And then it says this, the disciples were called Christians first, 
at Antioch. So this is like the first time that this group of people who are believing in Jesus and what Jesus did for them, and, and they're hearing the good news of Jesus, and this is the first time that they're called Christians. They were called Christians for the first time up there. And notice that it says the disciples were called Christians. They didn't call themselves this. This wasn't like the title that they brought up. They didn't have, you know, Christian on the back of their buggy, and they weren't wearing T-shirts that said, hey, I'm a Christian, ask me about it. Like, they, were, they didn't call themselves this. This was a, a term that was thrown on them by the people around them. And to kind of show you a little bit more into that, we're going to look. There's this guy named Tacitus. Has anyone heard of Tacitus? Right? Me neither. I hadn't heard of him. But he is a Roman like historian. So he chronicled uh, a number of emperors back in, in uh, the first century, and he kept a history, and it's a widely accepted history outside of the church. If you went to college and you, you studied history, you probably read some of Tacitus's work. So he, uh, he tells us an account of this emperor named Nero. And if you've heard of Nero, he's kind of synonymous with fire. Like I remember Nero because when I was in the 90s, I would you know, download music off LimeWire and we'd burn it to CDs and I would use a program called Nero. Maybe you'd never heard it. But anyways, that's where Nero reminds me of is, is this burning topic. So he burns down Rome. That's his like claim to fame. He wanted to start fresh. So he burns down the city. And as you could guess, not everybody was excited about that. They lost their homes, businesses, and all this stuff. So they're like freaking out, and they're blaming him, and they're angry with him, and they're rebelling, and they're, they're just mad. And so he does what any great leader would do. He picks the lowest group possible, and he says, actually, it was the Christians' fault. It wasn't us. I didn't do this. He blames the Christians. And so Tacitus chronicles this for us, and he says this. Consequently, to get rid of the report, or the report that Nero burned the city down, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite, which is an odd word choice for this, the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations, and we're going to get to that in the coming weeks, called Christians. So they're on the outside, and they're saying that Nero threw the blame on this group of people, this hated group of people called Christians by not themselves, but by the populace. So the general public is referring to this group of people that they see as a follower of this man, Jesus. And there's this common theme among these people. And so we need a word to kind of describe them, right? Like you kind of, you, you can't just say like, oh, the people who believe X, Y, and Z. So they come up with a, a word that to them makes sense and, and they call them Christians. And so the populace is calling them that. And so it says, Christus, Christus, from whom the name had its origin. So this part, I've, this really kind of like blew my mind in a way. I, was, I thought this was really cool. So maybe you'll think it's cool, maybe not. But it says, Christus, from the name had, or where it had its origin. So they're saying that the, the, the term Christian came from this man's name. And so these are Greek-speaking people. And so we know that the word, well, we, if you had a dictionary, you might know. But if you, the word uh, Messiah translated into Greek is Christ or Christus. And so all of these Greek-speaking people, they weren't waiting for a Messiah. That wasn't like what they believed. That wasn't their religion. They weren't waiting for a Messiah. And so they thought that Jesus Christ, like that was his name. Like there was Jesus Christ. 
Mary Christ, his brother James Christ. But we know that that's not, that's not the way that it was. Like Christ meant Messiah, and they're saying Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. But they coined this term because they just thought that's his last name because everyone's like, oh, we worship Jesus Christ. We worship Jesus the Messiah. So that must be his last name. And it says that he suffered, Jesus suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our uh, procurators, Pontius Pilate. And so Cornelius, that's an awesome name if you're looking for a baby name. But anyways, so what I think is so cool about this is obviously it's saying that they were named Christians, but by the, by the people. They didn't call themselves this. And we're going to drive this point home. But another thing that's cool about this is this isn't from the Bible. This is an ancient historical document that proves the existence of Christ and the death of Christ. It's not something that was a religious document that was found in the Bible. So it's totally separate and outside. And so I bring all of this home to say that the word Christian, it's, it's, it's tricky. It's kind of icky at times. And before they got their nickname, they referred to themselves as something totally different. They weren't calling themselves Christians. They were talking to each other and they referred to each other as something that was way, way higher up in the, the kind of the, the qualification. Something that really is, is sort of terrifying if you think about it. Because this word is so almost well defined in the Bible that you can't hide from it. It's a, it's a term that like American, like Canadian, like police officer, it's, it's well-defined, and so it's hard to get around what this word means. And one of the main reasons I think that we have so much strife and disagreement in the world is because this term Christian is so widely used and so misrepresented and so misunderstood and misdefined and redefined that we can kind of bend it to our will in a way that makes us feel comfortable and we can sort of leave out the difficult pieces of it. So you can claim to be a Christian and you can, you know, pretty much, you know, you go to church every week and you can do all these things and no one can kind of wrestle with you on that because you can't prove like, hey, well, it says here, a Christian does not do this. A Christian only does that. It's not defined clearly in the scripture. And so we, we mentioned this word, and I'm going to show it. it's called disciple. So we read it earlier. This is how they referred to themselves. This is how they referred to each other as we are disciples. We're not Christians. We're disciples. And I think that this word, if you cracked your Bible, you would see it's used time and time again. And there's like, there's qualifications. There's a level that you have to be at to be considered a disciple. There's things that are, that are tied to that that you can't escape. So this word disciple, it's got a bunch of, uh, of synonyms that this could be. It's a learner or, that was fancy, an, an adherent or a pupil. These are my favorite. A follower or an apprentice. If you are a disciple, then you kind of tether yourself to somebody and you follow them and you learn from them. You learn from them their ways, how they do things. I'm, I'm a big fan of tattoos and, and tattoo art. And if you, I have some friends that they've become tattoo artists. And when you become a tattoo artist, you don't go to Husson College and you sign up for tattooing 101. You, you go and you find a tattoo artist that you like and you admire their style of work and you apprentice under them because you want to learn how they do tattooing the way that they do it. 
and you tie yourself to them. That, that if you are like big into you know real realistic stuff and realistic artwork, you're not going to go to someone who does you know the more old school traditional sailor type tattoos because they don't do realism. So you're not going to learn what you're going to. So you you kind of tether yourself to a person in the way that they do them. So a disciple is someone who tethers themselves to Jesus in particular, in this instance, and you say, Jesus, what would you have me do? I'm in this situation in life, and Jesus, I need to know, like, how would you handle this situation? And then that's how I'll handle this situation. Like, how should I parent my kids? And, and so you would go to how Jesus would describe how you deal with children, how you, you know, lead people, how you love people, how you manage your finances. And you look to Jesus to say, how should I handle this? And he would explain it, and then you would say, yes, that's what I would do. But a disciple does even more than that. Before you even ask the question, the answer for you is yes. It's not, okay, so Jesus, how should my marriage look? And, and you don't wait for Jesus to respond, and then you say, okay, let me think about that and see how that fits in with me in my life and, and my circumstance, and I'll pick a piece of that. No, a disciple says, this is what you say, so yes, I'll do that. It might be uncomfortable. It might make me squirm a bit, but that's the way that I'm going to go. A, a follower, a Jesus follower, a disciple is very specific. There's no wiggle room in there and what that looks like because it's so clearly defined. And so some other places um, in, the, in the Bible, in the book of Acts, where we find the disciples referring to themselves this way. In, in Acts 6, it says, So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples, not Christians, disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. So they're referring to themselves here. And it says, When he, or Paul, right, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, sort of like a band maybe. He's trying to join them. But he says they, they were all afraid of him. Because if you know Paul's history, he persecuted the church, so they were kind of weary of him. It says that they were afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple, like that there was a cost to be paid, that there was something like heavy about that, that you have to rise up to, to be that. There was even female disciples the next one says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. So there you go. Women, you're disciples too. Men, we're disciples. Says so she was always doing good and helping the poor. So this is how they referred to themselves as disciples. And it's, it's far more costly than just being a Christian. Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a disciple? Would you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus? not just a Christian, but a disciple. And so this, this whole series is kind of revolving around this word disciple and what that means. And you might be thinking, well, why did you call it Christian? And it's because it would be kind of weird if we just started out with disciples and people might get confused. And so we're going to go with disciple, but we're not going to ask you to never use the word Christian again. Like that's not the point of this. The point is to show that Christian can be weird. It can be sort of flimsy in a way in some situations. And so we want to show you that that's not how the original church, how the early disciples classified themselves. And I think that this is so, so important. And we're going we're gonna to check out a verse in the book of John that's going to drive home sort of the foundation for what it costs, for what it means 
to be a disciple. And I think that if we could get this one thing right, I think if the early church, if they would have gotten this one thing right, and I think they did for, for quite a while, and it's, it's how so many numbers were added to them daily and, and weekly. And you see hundreds were added to the disciples on, on almost a daily basis as the church grew and grew and grew. And I think that if we could get this and, and take it seriously, that, and if those who came before us would have taken this seriously, there probably wouldn't have been a world war or a World War II, and there probably wouldn't be racism in our culture and in our world, that if we could get this one aspect of Jesus' teaching, this one like the first rung kind of on the ladder to being a disciple, right? The world would be a much, much different place. All right, so we're going to find out what that looks like. We're going to find it in John chapter 13. And so this is a book. It's written by a man named John. And he gives us kind of a, a close, intimate story of Jesus. At the time, it's, he's getting near his death. It's, it's getting close to the resurrection time. And he knows that he's only got a limited time left with these guys. And so he's like, you know, my time is running out. I need to, to share a few things with you before you leave. It's sort of like, you know, when, you, when you're sending your kid out into the wild, you know, they're leaving for college or whatever. There's some things that you kind of, you, you got you to gotta know these last few things before you go. Like, I know we spent a lot of time together, but I just need to drive this home that you understand this one thing. And so we find the disciples, they're, they're together, they're eating the last Passover meal, the last Jewish Passover that they would enjoy together. At this time, G Judas is gone. He's ready to sell out Jesus. So it's just the 11 there. And Jesus says this. He says, my children, and I think that's going to come back here in a second. My children, I will be with you only a little while longer. My time is limited. I need you to lean in at this point. He's saying, I, I, I've got this, a couple things left. I've shown you so many things. I've taught you all these different things, but I've got just a limited time left, and I need you to hear this. He says, you're going to look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you, where I'm going, you can't come. I've got things that I have to attend to. He's got plans that he, he needs to accomplish that they can't go with him. And so they're going to leave, so he needs to make sure that when he's gone, that they know what they're going to do. They need to know how to move forward when he's gone, because they need to kind of drive this thing forward to become the movement that Jesus has planned for them. So he says, where I'm going, you guys, you can't come with me. He says, a new command I give you. A new command, something that you need to follow, a command, which is not something that you can kind of veer away from or dodge or whatever, a command that I have for you. And this, this word new, it's, kind of, it's not like a brand new thing that was just newly created. It kind of meant like strange or remarkable or to like rebrand or to make new again. So he's saying, this is probably not new to you guys, but I have a new way to, for you to think about it. He says, a new command I give to you. Love one another. And these guys are probably thinking, Jesus, we've heard your love sermons before. Like, we understand this. This is not new to us. You're saying it's new, but it's not really new. He's saying, I, I, I want you to love one another. This isn't a feeling. This is an action. I'm calling you to love one another. And the thing about this is it's kind of easy to kind of say like, oh, well, you know, like I can love people. Like I can love those who love me back and I can love my friends and the people that I'm close to. Like that's easy. But Jesus, he, he kind of goes on and defines it even further just to make sure that they know how serious he's talking. 
and he defines it. He says, I want you to love one another. He says, as I have loved you, I was the one that loved you first. As I've loved you, so I want you to love one another. He gives you the example. He raises the bar that this isn't just like, I want you to be kind. He's like, I want you to love. And I want you to love to this level, the, the level that I first loved you. And I imagine that he's sitting there and he's looking at, at Matthew, who was with him. And he says, Matthew, I want you to love like I loved you. Do you remember, Matthew, what you were before I showed up? Like you were a tax collector. Like no one liked you. You were like the worst person on the planet. No one liked, everyone hated you. No one wanted to hang out with you. And the rest of the guys, when I first showed up and I was like, hey, Matthew, come follow me. Everyone was like balking at it. They were like, don't invite Matthew. Like we're trying to start something here. He's the worst guy, but I loved you first. And then, you know, and then he's saying to the rest of the guys, you remember when I, when we went to that party at Matthew's house and you guys were freaking right out? Like, Peter, your mom was, if, you were, if your mom knew where you were, she would just disown you, right? And so we showed up to this party and I just loved on Matthew. I want you guys to love like I loved Matthew. I want you to love like that. I think he looked at, at Nathaniel and he says the same thing. He's like, I want you to love like I loved you. Nathaniel, when he first showed up on the scene, he said this, this famous phrase. He said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Talking about Jesus when he heard him. Can anything really good come from Nazareth? And Jesus is like, you totally like dissed my whole family. And I still said, follow me. Like you, you totally like wrote off my whole lineage and said like nothing good can come from there. So he must not be good at all either. So I, you totally were like making fun of my mom. Right? And I said, no, Nathaniel, come, follow me. I showed you love when no one else would, when maybe you didn't even deserve to be shown love. I think he was like, guys, remember, remember that sermon I preached, like that Walking Dead sermon where I said, you got to drink my blood and, and eat my flesh. And, and everyone around me was like, this guy has lost it. And you were all kind of like fading into the back, like, I don't know, Jesus finally lost it this time. He's gone too far. And, and, and you guys didn't. I kind of kept you there. And, and I loved you even though you wanted to desert me. A love like that, a love that's unconditional. All of you, I want you to love one another. And then he drives it home. He says this. This is the, this is the point of today. He says, by this, by this love, this unconditional love, this, this love that just surpasses understanding that doesn't seem possible. It doesn't seem fair. This love by this, everyone will know that you are my Christians. No, my disciples, the people that follow me, that abide by my command, my word, that they will know that that's, that's the litmus test. That's like the, the place where you should be. That It should be the fundamental characteristic of every single one of you. And they'll know this, by the way, not that you pick it, not that you share verses, not how you say what you disagree with, not how you say you don't like that person or any of those things or what you stand for, but by the way that you love, then, then they're going to know that you are one of my disciples. Not how many services you have on a Sunday. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. 
doesn't matter what, what hymns you sing. It doesn't matter if you sing Hillsong or Bethel or if you have prayer services during the week or you have a Saturday night service. He says, they'll know this by the way you love each other. And if you don't, then they're going to be like, are you one of those Christians? Or are you kind of one of these Christians? What, what kind are you? And there shouldn't be different kinds. There should be a disciple, someone who is so, so following after Jesus that there's no, there's no wondering that this one defining characteristic makes you a disciple. And then picture this. I said earlier that where Jesus said, my children, I think this is kind of what he's referring to. And I imagine Jesus like shaking his head because as soon as he gets done with this, and I imagine Jesus is like, like pleading with them that you need to love one another as I've loved you. This is how they're going to know. And then it says, and then Peter, Peter speaks up and says, but Lord, where are you going? Like you, you said you're not going to be here. Where are you going? And I imagine Jesus like, Peter, you totally missed the whole point. It's not about where I'm going. I said you can't go, so that's not the point. And Peter's probably like, well, is Andrew going? Because if he's going, you know, I want to go because it's not fair if he doesn't get to go. And just like with your kids, you kind of explain something to them, and they pick, like, the weirdest detail to focus on. You're like, no, it's not about where I'm going, Peter. And Peter's probably like, but Jesus, I'll, I'll go with you, right? Like, I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. I'll die for you, Jesus. And as we know, Peter... What he, he denies Jesus, not once, but three times. And Jesus is like, it's not the point, Peter. You've completely missed it. Lots of people are willing to die for a cause. Like, that's old news. That's been done. That's been done before. That happens all the time. But I'm asking you to love at such a clip, at such a rate, that people have to take notice of you and to say, there's something weird about this person. And I don't know what it is, but I think I need to be closer to them. I'm attracted to this, this love, not in like a, a, an emotional way, but like there's just something about that group of people that just I need to be a part of. I want you to love your family like that. I want you to be such a good husband, such a good wife, and love on your family that people look at them and say, wow, like what is it? Where did they, where did they hear about this? Like, what's making them to, to be this type of person? How are they getting to that point? Who would do that kind of love? That's what I think I want people, I think that's what Jesus is talking about. Is that He wants to look at people and say, who would do that? Like, who would love someone who is so unlovable and love them so well? I think Jesus wants us to be disciples and followers of him and love each other so much that, that people would say, man, I hope, I might not believe what they believe, but I really hope my son or my daughter marries a Christian because they're just so kind. They're just so loving. They make the best parents. They make the best siblings. Like They're just such amazing people. I hope some Christians move on to our street because they're just so kind. They're the best neighbors around. I, you know, I'm, I'm hiring and I wish, like, I hope a Christian applies because they're just such good employees. Or I, you know, I hope my boss is a Christian because like, they're just so fair. They're just honest and they're fair and they do what they say they're going to do. And they're, they just treat us like royalty, that kind of love that just surpasses understanding. That's what Jesus is calling us to. And if you're not that, you've got to ask, am I a disciple of Jesus? Am I a disciple or am I just a, a, a Christian? A couple weeks ago, I, I took to the Facebook and I asked a question. I said, what do you wish churches would talk more about? 
which is a very dangerous thing to put out on the internet at this time. But I was like, let's do it. And so I put this out there and I got a variety, like my mom joking. She's like, hell and damnation. And I was like, okay, mom. And so <laughs> she was joking, by the way. But so you get all these different things. And so here's a list of a few things that, that, that people commented on. They said, living the truth that you preach. Hypocrite goes along with that, right? That we, we say all these things, and then we turn around and we do the complete opposite. Saying you're a Christian, but not acting like a Christian. Uh, this person actually said, saying you're a Christian, but not acting like a Christian, or saying you're a Christian and acting like a Christian is way different in America. This person wasn't born in America, and they, they've figured out that there's something different about American Christians and the way they say and then act differently. What about this next one? Love your neighbor. says it on my shirt, actually. Didn't plan that one out. But loving your neighbor, that we have this, this thing we talk about, but then you often hear that, you know, those, those Christians, they are the worst neighbors. They complain about everything, right? This loving your neighbor. What about this next one? This one, actually, it started off, I had to shorten it to fit it on here. It said, honestly, question mark, like, do you really want me to tell you what I think churches should talk more about? Unconscious bias, human trafficking, substance use, white fragility, sexual assault, and interpersonal violence. And here's the kicker. Here's the thing, and here's the reason I bring this up. Imagine if we were a church of disciples or the church was a church of disciples, and that we took seriously the fact that we're supposed to love each other like Jesus first loved us. I don't think there would be an issue with us living the truth that we preach. I don't think people would be saying we're acting differently than what we preach. I think we would be the best neighbors around. I think there would be no unconscious bias. There would be no need for human trafficking or, or substance abuse and all of these things that try to fill voids that the love of the church and the love of Jesus should fill and that all of this stuff wouldn't have been commented. I probably would have typed that out there and it would have just been a sea of nothing because we would be so known by love that we wouldn't have to, that this would just be a part of us, that the world would be such a different place, that our city would be different, our church would be different, our community, our nation would be different. I think if we took this seriously, you wouldn't have the polarization that we have in our country. That No, obviously disagreements happen. Like people disagree. I had a, a, a person was texting me this week completely out of the blue. And, and he's you know, texting me about vaccinations and masks. And I'm like, dude, like we disagree. Like, I love you. I said, I was like, hey, we disagree. I love you. There's nothing we can change about that. And like what turned out to be like, I was like, whoa, where did this come from? Like, I didn't ask you this. And then all of a sudden it came down to, but then I was like, dude, we, I love you. And then he was like, yeah, I love you, man. And it's just, I don't know why this just got me fired up. You know, and we, we ended up and it was great and we disagree, but we loved each other more than our disagreement. And that's just an example. If we could just get this one thing right. And so I'm going to close. I know I'm running out of time, and, but I got I got two things I want to say. If we could just go on like a rebranding campaign that we weren't known as the church that had like a cool set design and, and like amazing coffee, obviously. If we were a church that, that when people, you know, I've been in church a long time and everyone says like, oh, where do you go to church? I go to Journey Church. I'm like, what's that like? 
He said, oh, you know, we got great coffee. Uh, the message is relevant. We got a full band, usually. <laughs> Not lately, but the music is great. Like, it's just, we got an awesome kids ministry. Like, it's great. And like, that's how we describe our church. But, but what if when someone said, oh, I've heard of Journey Church. The way those people love, it's like almost creepy. Like, they just love everybody to a, a way that's just like, it doesn't make sense. The way that they serve and they love their community, it's just, it's like, it just, it's beyond measure. It's almost like they read the Bible and Jesus said to love one another and they did it. It was the weirdest thing, right? Like, what if we rebrand? And so, but the first thing I want to say is, I, could you give me seven days? The next seven days, this series is going to go through a whole bunch of stuff, but in the danger of a series like this and a message like this in particular, when, when we're kind of like preparing this and I'm, I'm reading through like the, the content that we're going to present, the difficult thing is this, is that I felt like people are just going to think this is a fluff message, right? And you know, like, oh, Journey Church, they got those fluff messages over there that just make people feel good. And so like, I'm just thinking, the, the thing is, like, you know, I know that there's so much more out there. I know that there's forgiveness and there's grace and there's truth that's needed and, and there's sin that has to be talked about and, and there's all of these things. But the, the thing that I think the reason we're talking about something so foundational as just loving one another is because all of those things don't come into play. They, don't, they almost don't even matter if you can't love one another. This is like the first rung on the ladder. To even become a disciple, you've got to get this right. Because if you don't, all the rest of that, it's really going to be a moot point. It's not going to, it's not going to matter. This is the thing. So if we could, for like the next seven days, just when we wake up in the morning, just think, I need to love. I need to love my neighbor. I need to love my spouse. I need to love my kids and just love them more than I did yesterday. I need to love that guy down the street who just drives me nuts. I need to love my coworkers or, or my boss when they ask me for the 12th time if I've you know, done this thing. And I need to love on them. And I need to love the employees, the people that work under me. If we could just do this for seven days, I think our church, our, our community would begin to shift a little bit. And the thing is about it is I know it's not easy and it's hard and it might get even harder. It's not something that's just, it's just going to turn out perfect when we do this. I mean, if you read the whole story, Jesus lived this out and he was crucified. So there's that. It's, it's, it's not like a perfect life is going to happen when you love one another. But this is what a disciple is. Are we disciples? Or are we going to settle with, I'm just, I'm a Christian I'm one of these kind. I, I, you know, I'm not that kind, but I, I'm a disciple. There's no differentiation between that. And the last thing I want to say before we close this is if, if you are a person that if maybe at any point in your life or maybe at this moment or maybe somehow you stumbled upon this on the internet or maybe someone dragged you here or what, and if, if you thought, I... I just, I can't stand Christians. I hate Christians. If, if that definition we put up there was something that you felt or something that you thought, I want to personally say, I'm sorry. And I want that to settle on you. I'm sorry. If, and I, I think if I had gone through what you've gone through, I would probably feel the same way. If I had experienced the things that you experienced that brought you to that realization, I would agree with you. I would feel the same way. I've been through church conflict. I've been through, uh, you know, I'm 37 years old. I've been through my fair share of 
church conflict. No church is perfect. Journey Church is not perfect. And it's filled with imperfect people like myself. And people hurt people. Someone said this to me yesterday. Hurt people hurt people. And I know that there's, there's things that have happened in your life that have made you question, do I even want to be one of those people? And I want to say I'm sorry that we've gotten to that point. I'm sorry that that's how you feel. But I, I, just, I, I hope that you can maybe give Jesus a shot. That I know that you might never want to be Christian and, and that that kind of has some negative things because let's be easy, be honest. Christian is dodgy. It can mean so many different things. It can be, you know, a person that was that definition up there or it can be a person that's filled with love who's a disciple. As a Christian, as the great Patches O'Houlihan said, you can duck, dive, dip, dive, and dodge questions as a Christian. It's easy to kind of like get out of the way like, ah, I'm not that kind of a Christian. But if you're a disciple... That's a whole different story. You're, you're kind of locked in on that, and you're held to a different standard. And so I just want to ask you, are you a disciple? Are we disciples? And if you're not, I encourage you to seek Jesus out. And this series is going to be filled with kind of next steps in that. But I think this is the foundation that we need to start with, that we need to be a church that's filled with love. So seven days. Will you give me seven days? You can call it Love Week if you want. Right? Come up with a fancy name for it on Facebook. But we're not going to make an event for that. It'd be a little weird. But <laughs> I just encourage you guys. All right? So I'm going to pray for you real quick, and then we'll get out of here. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that, that you just lay it out so clear for us, God. I pray that as we go about this week, that we don't think about um, you know, all the different things and the issues of this world, but that we can just think, how can I love somebody better? That I might disagree with this person, and we might be coming from two completely different areas in life, but before I get to our disagreement, can I just love them? And I pray that you help us to do that, to love people even when they don't deserve it, and to love them more and more every single day. God, be with us. Be with Jim and Tanya over these next several weeks. Pray that you give them peace. Help us to love on them in any way that we can. And just be with these amazing people, God. In your name we pray. Amen. I encourage you guys to come back next week. We have a guest speaker named Jeremy Mann who will be here. He's from the Rock Church. Uh, he's going to be preaching. He's a phenomenal speaker. He's super funny. So I encourage you to come out for that. We're going to have a couple of different speakers over the next few weeks. And I think you guys will really enjoy it. So I'll see you next time.